It's good to be here. My name is Justin Matz, and I work here with Real Life. I've been here for about the last five years. So let me, uh, if this is your first time coming out, let me say thanks. We're glad that you have decided to spend your Thursday with us. So, um, if you were with us last week, you know that we started a series entitled Christmas Inventor. And the whole point of this is that we are taking a look at Christmas from God's perspective. So last week, Bacho started us off and he, uh, he talked about God's Christmas wish, and he talked about how his wish is for salvation to come to humanity. And so tonight, we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we are going to look at God's Christmas list. So we're going to take a look at what might be on his list. And so, I think it's really interesting how our American culture has completely changed the original Christmas. You know, like, this time of the year, everyone is, uh, maybe you recently were at the mall and you saw something think you might want or need, and your thought is, oh, I'm going to put that on my Christmas list. Or uh, immediately after Christmas, the conversation is, hey, how, how's it going? How was your Christmas? And the next question we ask is, what did you get? What was the best thing you got? And you, you notice the question never is, what was the best thing you gave? And, and I'm married into a family that uh, takes this Christmas list thing pretty seriously. Um, and so for this, my wife's extended family, uh, Chris, the Christmas season gets started in late September. And it, it gets started by my wife's grandma sending out a couple really old emails. And in these emails it says, hey, the, the family hot dog roast is coming up. Make sure you get your Christmas list ready. And so you might be thinking, how do those things connect? That's what I thought the first time I heard it. <laughs> so what that means is, in the middle of October, they set aside a whole Saturday evening to have a hot dog roast where they stand around this fire and roast hot dogs. And then the whole point of the evening is they exchange Christmas lists. So they, they devote a whole night to this. People could drive in from out of town, and they have this really detailed um, way about drawing names. And then after everyone has drawn a name, you one by one go into like the secret room where all the lists are. And you, you grab the list of the name that you've just drawn, and no one else is allowed to know what is on this list. And so for me, I'm like, why, why not just email? You know, that, that seems to work well. Um, but as I've gone to this over the last several years, I, I've made an observation. And the observation is that there's two people that are at this every year that are way more excited than anyone else. And, and you might think it, it's the little children that are the most excited. The two most excited people are Hannah's grandparents. And the reason that they are the most excited is because for the next two months, they get to very carefully and methodically plan out how they get to buy the people they dearly care about and dearly love that special thing on their list. And so when you ask her grandparents what comes to mind when you think about a Christmas list, they aren't thinking like, oh, what can I put on my list for me to get? They're thinking about who is on our shopping list that we get to buy for. And so when it comes to God, I think that's a small picture of what he is like. When it come, when, if we were to ask him about his Christmas list, he isn't requesting anything. He is more thinking along the lines of, who do I get to buy for this Christmas season? So let me pray for us. That's where we're going to go this evening. <coughs> Lord, thanks for Christmas. Thanks that you have offered us the best gift we will ever know. Um, thanks for tonight. Thanks for a chance to gather freely. Thanks for a chance to look at your word. I pray that you would teach us from it and you would use this in significant ways in our life. We love you. 
We're grateful that you're our Father. Amen. And so if, if we were to, to trace the storyline of the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation, we would start to notice several themes. Um, we, would, we would notice a theme that God is most concerned about his glory. Another theme we would recognize is, is that he has this plan of redemption going on. And one of the themes that we would start to notice would be his Christmas list. And not in the sense of what does he want, like I said, but who, who is he buying for this Christmas season? And I could show you several passages of the scripture that we don't have time for tonight, but I'm going to just point out one verse, and then we're going to shift gears a little bit. But John 3.16, what this whole series is based on, says, For God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so I don't know if you caught it in there, but he told us who was on his list. On his list is the whole world. On his list is everyone that's in this room tonight. On, the, on his list is every student at Ohio State. Every university student in the United States is on his list. Every, every person in the whole world is on God's list. Every, all of humanity. And so, like I said, we could look at Scripture over and over and, and find this to be true. And so, I, we know who is on his list. The world is on his list. But what I want to spend time tonight looking at is, how is he going to make this list become a reality? So here's a, here's a quote from John Stott. John Stott was a, he, he actually just passed away this last summer. He was a, a really prominent leader in the evangelical church in England. And he says this, he says, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. And so, again, like I said, if we were tracing the storyline of the Bible, another thing that we would come to realize is that our God is on a mission. And his mission is for the whole world to have a chance to know him, all of humanity. And not only is he on this mission, but he's inviting us, and he's actually commanding us as people that have a relationship with him to participate with him in this mission. And so, when I first started to hear about this, it was really hard for me to wrap my mind around that idea. You know, I grew up in rural Indiana. I grew up on a farm. Uh, my perspective of the world was about this big. Um, my family growing up, we said phrases like, hey, we're going to town, which that translates to like, hey, we're, someone's going about 25 minutes away to get some stuff. You only make this trip once a week. Does anyone else need anything? Or um, my family, we never ordered pizza. It wasn't that we didn't like pizza, but they didn't deliver it to our house. Um, so, so my, my perspective of the world was just very narrow. You know, like, I grew up going to church, and every once in a while there might be a missionary that would come to our church and share about things that they were doing around the world. And, and I, would, I would be um, really interested and intrigued to hear these stories, but my, my outlook was like, well, there's no one from my community leaves here. So there's no way, like, my life can fit in a part of that plan. That I, that's so far away, I, I would never show up into one of these far-off places. So this idea of God wanting me, me to be on a mission with him was just bizarre. And then I went to college. And at college, my view of the world expanded, but my heart didn't. And so, you know, I, I showed up at university, and I had a game plan. My plan was I was going to work really hard, uh, be involved on campus, get my degree, and then I could chase my American dream, and that would make my life complete. 
that if I grew up in a family that had a business and I knew if I got my degree and made it back to business, that held the keys for my life to be um, satisfied and for all my dreams to come true. And so my life just didn't really have any room for me to participate with God and what he was doing. In a lot of ways, I was just, I didn't have room to, to be obedient to him. And so, I don't, I, I'm guessing in a room this size, when, uh, when these thoughts that God wants you to be on a mission with him, I mean, it causes some resistance. Some of you might be thinking, and just that you have no idea who I am. There is no way God could ever use a person like me to help him and his global purpose around the world. Or maybe some of you are thinking, man, I have I have been dating this my boyfriend or girlfriend for a, a really long time, and it seems like engagement might be around the corner. And so if I were to really take this seriously and participating with God on his mission, like, there's a chance that he would break up, and my life would be over if that happened. So I can't participate with him. Or maybe others of you are thinking, I have spent the last quarter, the last couple of years pulling all nighters, studying really hard. Like I deserve to pursue my career after college. And, and so what happens is we all have these things in our lives that prevent us from engaging with God on his mission. And the world we live in is screaming at you 1,000 different things, telling you you need to pursue this, you need to do that. And the world we live in just isn't really conducive for us to participate with God. And so tonight, we're going to look at a passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to look at um, the life of the disciples. And what you need to know about the disciples is they're just kind of a ragtag group of guys. They, they aren't really educated. Uh, some of them are fishermen. Um, they're just ordinary people. And, and they, they wrestle with the same questions that we wrestle with. They all, they, they want, they have a plan for their life. They, they have in mind what it's going to take for them to be happy and satisfied. And they're thinking to themselves, like they have a game plan. What can I do to control my environment to make my dreams come true? And so here in Matthew 28, we're going to look at verses 16 to 20. But just to give you some context about what's going on before this, um, Mary and Mary have just shown up at the tomb um, to mourn because Jesus is, has been crucified. And when they get there, the tomb is empty. And an angel appears to them and, and tells them, hey, this is where you can go and find Jesus. And so they go, and, and they see Jesus from afar, and their immediate response is they fall on their face and worship him. And they, they start to have a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, go find my disciples and tell them to meet me here. And that's where we, we picked up here in, in Matthew 28, verse 16. This is what it says. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, till the very end of the age. And so what is going on here is uh, the disciples recognize Jesus. They see him from the court. They immediately fall and worship him. And then Jesus reveals to them kind of the mission or uh, the game plan that God has for the whole world to know about him. And so it, it's kind of like he's telling them, all right, guys, I have no plan B. There's no backup plan. There's no other option. What, how this is going to work is 
you guys are going to go to the next town, and you're going to go to the next country, and there you're going to tell people about the opportunity to have a relationship with God through me. And you're not going to just tell them this information and leave them, but you're going to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. You're going to help them learn what it means to have a relationship with me. And through me, or, or through you, they're going to be able to experience this relationship and grow. And then they're going to in turn tell more people. And then they're going to tell others. And, and that's how the gospel, or the good news, or God's mission, God's shopping list has been um, continued throughout all time. And that's what he is inviting us in on. And so, when I think about this, I, like, if, if, it seems like if I were Jesus, which would not be a good thing, but, but I don't think this is a good idea. Like, why would you entrust people like you and me with this great mission? It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But what I love about this passage, there are two great promises that we find here. And it's in these two great promises that gives us assurance that this plan will actually work. So the first one from Jesus is found in verse 18. He says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So Jesus has all the authority. God gave Jesus all the authority. So he's telling the disciples, when you go to the next town, if you encounter some government officials or some religious leaders that give you a hard time, I, I have more authority than them. Or for us, when we maybe step out in faith and have a conversation with someone about what we believe, and it doesn't go so well. Jesus has more authority in that situation. You know, Jesus has more authority than President B. Jesus has more authority than the president of our country. Uh, Jesus has more authority than any dictator or leader we have ever known or ever will know. So Jesus has all the authority. He can't get any more because he already has it all. So with that in mind, it's like, okay, this, this plan might work. It will work. So then the other great promise we find is found at the very end in what Jesus says. And he says, and behold, I am with you to the very end of the age. And so no matter where we go, no matter where he might take us on this mission, we have confidence in knowing he's with us always. So when we, like again, like I said, when we step out in faith and have conversations with people about what we believe, he's with us. We can't escape him. If he were to take my life and my family to some far-off nation, he's there with me. I can't, I can't escape it. And so, in the midst of those two great promises, it, it gives me confidence, it can give us confidence that he can use us, and he wants to use us, and he will use us. But if you're like me, I still have a little bit of resistance where I'm like, ah, I don't know if, if this really fits into my life. But what, what I want to look at is the, the posture that the disciples had. And so you notice back a little bit, it says that their response when they saw him was that they, they stopped and worshipped him. And this doesn't mean that they sang some cool real-life songs to Jesus. Um, this, this means that they fell flat on their face, and, and they counted Jesus so high and so worthy that they were willing to give up their life for this cause. And we could look at other places in Scripture, and we would see that most of the disciples, they suffered uh, great things because they, they were taking this command seriously. Or we could, uh, we would find out also that most of the disciples end up dying for this cause. So what I notice here is that because they worshiped Jesus, they were willing to give their life up to follow him and to participate in his global purpose. They worshiped Jesus the most. There was nothing else uh, greater than him to them. Because he was the greatest, they were willing to go and do anything. 
And it begs the question for myself, what is it that I worship? Is Jesus the greatest? What, what is it that you worship? Is, is Jesus the greatest to you? You see, if, if something else is what we worship, like this, this command to go into all the world and make this type of a pain in our side, we, we will kicking and screaming, maybe participate, but most of us probably won't because something else is what we worship. But if Jesus is what we worship the most, this will become a privilege and an honor to participate in. So here's another quote let me read to you by Stephen Hawthorne. He says this, You can do something other than working with God and His purpose, but it'll always be something lesser. And you couldn't come up with something better. So what is it that you, you will worship? What is it that I will worship? Is our worship going to cause us to participate with God on His global mission? Let me, uh, I want to share a story with you about a guy that a lot of you probably know, or some of you might. Um, I think we have a picture of him. This is Steve Blacklow. And Steve is a, a guy that has taken this command very seriously. Um, last spring, he graduated from here. He sat in these seats last year. He graduated with a degree in business. Um, and he was an overqualified candidate for the ideal business job. He, uh, he studied abroad. He had really good grades. He was really involved on campus. He had internships. Like business, um, business offers were falling in for him. But Steve, he's actually in... This picture is taken in Slovenia, where he has decided to spend a year of his life, at least, um, participating with God in his mission, so that people in the country of Slovenia would have a chance to worship him. And last spring, as he was about to graduate, we asked him, Steve, why did you decide to do this? And here's what he said. It's kind of long, but I want to read it to you. It says, the Lord has used this movement at OSU radically, to radically transform my life. Coming into college, I was not walking closely with the Lord and living a life where I was the center of everything. I encountered the Lord here at OSU my freshman year through leaders within the movement. I have seen so much growth and life transformation since getting involved. I love this movement. I was once in the concern with making a big in life, getting a good job, and living happily ever after. Because of how the Lord is using real life at OSU, the focus of my life has completely shifted. I want to glorify the Lord through all that I do and make an eternal impact on people's lives. Because of this, I have recently decided to stint next year in Slovenia. It was definitely a tough choice. I had to turn down three jobs in three different cities. It was not a fun phone call telling Fortune 500 companies that I did not want their money, status, guaranteed comfort, and power. In light of eternity and what I want to be true in my life, stinting in Slovenia is the right choice. The spiritual climate of Slovenia is dead, and I have the opportunity to share the gospel with Slovenians who do not know the Lord. I honestly believe we have the opportunity to change the spiritual climate of the whole country. That gets me excited to go. The Lord calls us to go. He has a heart for the nations. I want to be used by Him in radical ways. That is why I'm stinting in Slovenia, because I have fallen in love with the Lord, and I want others to experience what I have and make an eternal impact in their lives. So what you hear from Steve is, because Jesus was so great to him, he was willing to turn down job offers. He was willing to turn down what he thought maybe was the best life possible. And he said, Jesus, you're so great. I'll follow you anywhere. I'll even go to Slovenia for a year. And I can share with you plenty of more stories of students who have sat here. They have, they have graduated. They have gone on. Maybe some of them are in the, in the marketplace. But, but they're living with a different perspective 
they're saying, I, I want to participate with what God's doing around the world, even if I'm here in the United States. I'm living sacrificially so I can give resources and finances to make it possible for God's global plan to become a reality. And so I want to share with you really quickly just kind of two unique opportunities we have as real life here at Ohio State. Um, real life is all over the uh, United States, it's all over the world really, and it's on major college universities. And every real life in the United States has what we call a partnership. The idea behind a partnership is that we are committed to sending laborers, people, um, staff and students, uh, resources, money, our best efforts to these different countries around the world and in efforts to start a movement much like we experienced here so that people in these countries would have a chance to worship Jesus. And so here at Real Life, we said yes, we, we want to do that. We want to be a part of that. And, and we have two unique partnerships, one with the country of Venezuela and one with the country of Slovenia. And, and what that means is we're trusting that one day Sometime down the road, we want to be standing here and talking about how, how we need to show up in this country. But we would be standing here sharing stories about how our dear friends in these countries are sending us emails and stories about how Jesus has changed their life. And now, as nationals of those countries, he is using them to change other people's lives in their, in their country. And they're telling us story after story about how God's global plan is happening in these places. And then we are sitting here as real life and we're looking at the map and we're talking to the Lord and we're saying, where's next? Where are we going now? And so that's, that's, what we, that's what we're trusting the Lord for. That's why we have this partnership. Let me just say two uh, quick things about these places. Venezuela is an extremely spiritually open country. I mean, right now, if you were to walk on campus, you could meet student after student who was just dying for someone like us to come and just put the pieces of the puzzle together for them they can understand what it means to have a relationship with God. This is a very strategic country because they are uh, they have very uh, unique relationships with countries in the Middle East through the, the oil industry. They can go into countries that you and I can never set foot in. And, and the time is now, it's urgent, because the government in Venezuela um, is a little unstable, and we don't know when they can just shut the door and say, no more Americans are allowed here. So that's a little bit about Venezuela. Slovenia, it's kind of a, a different, a lot different than Venezuela. It's a, it's a beautiful country. It's uh, the Alps are there. It's close to the Mediterranean. But up until the early 90s, it was under communism. And so that means that basically the government has completely erased the thought of God. And so since the early 90s until now, these people are looking for something to put their hope in. And, and they, they, no one has shared with them that they can put their hope in God. And mission research shows that in the country, there's probably somewhere between 500 and 700 believers. That's it. And, and there's really no mission organization that is pretty much effort into reaching this country. And so if people like you don't show up, there's a chance no one will. And so I am convinced that there are students in both of these countries that in the morning, they're going to wake up, they're going to put their backpack on, they're going to head to class. And on their way to class, some of these students are going to ask themselves significant, or significant questions. Like, why am I here? Is there any point to this? Is there a God? Can I believe in him? What is he like? And then there's going to be some of you who get on an airplane and go to, some, to one of these places that you know very little about. And you're, because God cares about them, because they are on his Christmas list, he is going to allow your lives and your paths to cross. 
And you're going to have a significant conversation with them. And you're going to tell them about how Jesus is the greatest thing to you and how he has changed your life. And as, as a result of that, they're going to say, that's what I want. And you're going to have a chance to, to help them have a relationship with God. And that's, that's what life is about. That is an amazing opportunity. So the question is, will we participate? And I'm even encourage you right after this, we're having a partnership dessert. So uh, over at University Hall in the basement, come over, learn more about Slovenia, Venezuela, eat some dessert, and, and we'll, we'll talk about how you can participate and what's going on there. So as we, we wrap up, I, I realize in a, a room this size, there's people in all different spots on their spiritual journey. Um, some, of, some of you maybe are coming in tonight, and you're, you're, I just want to check out Christianity is what you're saying. And maybe we said some things that are confusing or you, you never heard about before. And what I want you to know is that you are a person that is on God's Christmas list. He wants you to know him. He wants you to have a relationship with him. The Bible talks about that's what you life for. And, and the issue is that all of us as humanity has um, rebelled against God. And our attitude towards God is we don't need him. And so, and the Bible defines that as that's sin. And it tells us there's a consequence for our sin. Because all of our sin, we're eternally separated from God. But the biggest scandal the world has ever known is that in the midst of our rebellion, God still entered in. And he still offered a solution to our rebellion. And to our sin. He's given us the Christmas gift that we'll talk about next, next week. He's given us the person of Christ. And through Christ, it's possible to have a restored relationship with God. If that's something you've never heard about or something you have questions about, I, I would love to, to talk with you about that. I would love to, to buy you lunch and have a conversation. So if that's something that you're interested in, come in and talk to me afterwards. For others of you that have identified yourself as someone that follows Christ or has a relationship with God, I, I, I would ask you a couple questions. What is it that you worship? And is Jesus the greatest? And then I would ask you, how are you going to participate with God on his global mission? And I think in a room this size, it's really easy to think, like, well, that would be great for my friend. Or that would be great for this guy or girl that comes to my Bible study. But why not you? What's going to keep you from participating with God on his mission? I mean, think with me for a minute what, what it could look like if, if a whole Bible study Maybe there's, there's a Bible study on North Campus. Maybe the guys and girls there say, hey, this summer, we're not going to get a job. We don't, we don't really need to make money. We're, we're going to get on a plane. We're going to go on a summer project in one of these countries because Jesus has changed our life, and, and we want to make a difference. Or what if the Bible study all over campus, Steve Hall, Baker, Dragon, Taylor, what if, what if that characterized the Bible studies? Or what if it was a norm that a student's from this movement, walked across the stage in the shoe for graduation. What if, what if they, they weren't saying, I have arrived, now I get to go chase my dreams? What if they were saying, you know what, Jesus has changed my life, and I want to participate with him. So no matter where I go, if I'm in the business world, if I'm an engineer, if I'm a teacher, if I'm in the marketplace, I'm going to live a life that is sacrificial, so I can be someone that can give finances and resources so people can go. Or what if people walking across that stage are gathering their friends and they're saying, we're, we're going. We want to, to be used by God around the world to make an impact. So why not you? 
life, what will keep you from participating? Let me, let me pray for us and we'll, we'll close. Lord, thanks that you are a God that cares about the whole, the whole world, 